Good morning and welcome once again to the Naked Sales Guy, where we strip away all the bullshit and give you no-nonsense sales advice to dress up your wallet. That's right. Good morning on this rainy, rainy morning in our studio. We can see it raining out the window. It is a dreary Sunday morning. That's Megan over there by the window watching it rain. That's Matt over there, not by the window, so I don't pick up his talking on my mic. Right, because it's a very sophisticated studio setup we have here. Listen, very expensive. Very expensive. All right, today. Today. Wait, first of all, do you remember what we talked about last week? I don't remember anything about last week. I remember being tired. Okay, well, <laughs> touche. In your defense, it has been a crazy week, but last week, at the beginning of it, we recorded an episode about team building. And this week, we're going to talk about rapport building. Well, isn't it lucky that we're in the building business? I know. So much building in our lives. A lot of building and sales. Indeed. Tony Robbins, and if you you don't know who Tony Robbins is, just do a quick Google search, uh, because you probably need some foundation building before you get to this podcast. I, I mean, like I said, I want everybody I can listening to our sales podcast, but... If you don't know who Tony Robbins is, you may need to back up a second. I don't one know if you're steps. ready for us. There's only one person I like better than Tony, and that's Zig. I like Tony. I bet you do. I like tall guys. Yeah, you do. Tony Robbins says, Report is the ability to enter someone's world to make him feel like you understand him, that you have a strong, common bond. That's rapport. Yeah, we all get along with certain people. And so sometimes rapport is just instant. So if you meet somebody at a party or a meeting, you just you kind of automatically click with them. Most of the time, I guess I'm fortunate that it's something that I'm good at. I, you know, if anybody were to ask me what one of my primary strengths was as a salesperson, it would be building rapport. I would agree with that. You're great at putting people at ease. You talk to them like you've known them forever. You're like, hey, man, what can I do for you? Yeah, but on the kind of the flip side of that, sometimes rapport is not an instant thing. Sometimes that connection takes a little bit of effort, and that's fine. I mean, the fact is, is if you have to work at it a little bit, it's, it, some I think some people would say that it's inauthentic, but it's really not. If you've just got to work to find that common ground, that's okay. For me, it's pretty much a primary part of your job as a salesperson. Definitely. Well, because like you've said a hundred times, people buy from people that they like. Rapport, kind of building on what you said, is really just the highlighting of commonalities to create these positive feelings. And that's where, like you were talking about, it's not inauthentic. You're not being fake. You might have to work harder to find what you have in common with somebody to get those positive feelings flowing, but it's still authentic. And if you have to put some effort in, it doesn't mean it's disingenuous. So like we were talking about last week on a team, having a good rapport can increase cohesion and productivity. In a sale, like with a prospect, it's actually found to correlate, and I'm quoting here, so take a drink because one study found that rapport is actually found to correlate significantly to customer satisfaction, loyalty, and word of mouth communication. So it's not even just about one time making a sale, but we're talking about good rapport can really increase customer loyalty. And it can really be the difference between having a lifelong client and really just like crossing a name off of a prospect list. Right. Well, and building rapport also can help you in the customer service process. If you've got that kind of rapport, you can be maybe a little bit more blunt. You can be a little bit more casual, you know, if things get a little contentious. Oh, for sure. And it, in my opinion, decreases the chance of things getting contentious. Because if you've got a good rapport with somebody, you're going to go to them and be like, hey, can you explain what happened instead of what happened to my delivery? You know, like it's going to be the chances of it getting contentious are, are definitely less. So real quick, let me just talk about the science of rapport. 
because we can't go one episode without talking about what happens in the brain during some part of the sales process. In your science. Okay, so when rapport is created, oxytocin, which we talk about a lot here. That's because you're an oxytocin addict. I do. It's the bonding hormone. Who doesn't like to be bonded? You You think that's because you're a twin? Oh, I don't know. You've got to cuddle since you cuddled for nine months in the first start of your life. I bet you're right. Yeah, folks, she's there's two of them. She's a twin, and so I think that was just God's little joke on me. <laughs> God's little joke on you. Gift to the world. Joke on Matt McLean. Yeah. Just a side story, real quick. Uh, the first time I took Matt home to meet my you, family, you he don't have to. He tell almost everybody, kissed but, my sister. But that's, anyway, that's moving on. The, he almost kissed my sister. Right, there's more to that story, but okay. So oxytocin helps to balance these conflicting desires we have on the professional level to create these positive relationships, but then also protect ourselves from people who might mean us harm, people who might be toxic. So when we create a rapport with somebody, this oxytocin helps them feel bonded to us and they're more inclined to trust us because as a salesperson we talk a lot about being a consultant and you should be a trustworthy consultant having good rapport building skills will help speed up that process to where they know that they can trust you not just they feel they can trust you they know they can trust you because you are a trustworthy person Big thing is what we want to talk about is ways to develop rapport. You know, 11 we, ways to develop. 11 rapport. ways to develop rapport. I think number one, as we always say here at The Naked Sales Guy, we need is, a t shirt. We might, we have t shirts. We can. My sister designs t shirts. We can make her. The twin? Yeah, the one you almost <sighs> kissed. Yeah. She'll make a t shirt that says almost kissed by Matt McClain. There you go. Not she a lot of women that. can wear that now. She made a t shirt that said been kissed by Matt McClain. Yeah. Lots yeah, of girls of from your high school could wear that. <laughs> Just remember, you can't be first, but you can be next. Oh my gosh. Side I gotta note, edit out source, that sleeve. Ric Flair, the nature boy. You gotta love Ric Flair. Uh, no, you don't gotta. Anyway, go on. Do your research. Oh, do your research. First, you should know the main points of your target client. Pain points. Basically, that should go without saying. Secondly, when you're having a with a prospect, you should do some pre-meeting research to find out kind of their business or communication style, whatever, personal interest, hobbies, professional history, and hopefully you find out about the company culture, and if you're lucky, you might find out some specific problems they're facing. As the millennial of the organization, let me insert my opinion right here. So as it stands right now, if you're listening to this, you know, five years from now, who knows where it will be. But as it stands right now, Facebook is very personal. Twitter is personal unless we're talking about a professional account that is professionally associated with their company. Pinterest is more personal. LinkedIn has occupied this very mid-level between personal and professional. So when you do go into that meeting, do your research on every platform. Only reference the LinkedIn stuff. If I had a meeting with somebody and they said, oh, I saw on LinkedIn that you went to some conference in Atlanta. Did you like it? That's not creepy. If somebody said, oh, I saw on Twitter that your nieces came to visit you in Chattanooga. Was that so fun? That's a little creepy. Well, an advanced technique, if you see that somebody went on vacation, you don't say, hey, I saw that you guys went to Mexico. How was it? Hey, it looks like you guys have gotten some sun. Have you been on vacation recently? Yes. And that's what the research is all about. And that's what, do as much research as you can find on a professional level. See if you can find out what problems they're facing as a company or as an industry. On a personal level, all you're doing is, what you're trying to do is find out who they are personally so that you can pick out those points of commonality and highlight it in the meeting. You don't have to come right out and say, I saw you like dogs and I also have a dog. You can 
reference your dog. Yeah. And then if they choose to divulge the information that they also like dogs and they like Labrador retrievers, then you can build on that. But in terms of specifically referencing something, stick with LinkedIn. Right. Don't reference their Facebook. Don't reference their personal Twitter. Use that information to find points of commonality. But when you're referencing something, just stick with LinkedIn. Agreed. That's my millennial advice. Okay. Our second tip, ask questions and in parentheses, listen to the answer. And so this goes a lot into what you were just talking about, Matt, with doing your research. In the process of doing your pre-meeting research, there's also a doing your research in the middle of the meeting, which is asking questions. One thing I wanted to point out, and I've said it a few times on here, but self-disclosure is pleasing to the brain. So ask open-ended questions that foster an actual conversations. And what I mean by this is don't ask yes or no questions. Did you have a good weekend? Yes. Do you like this weather? No. That doesn't further any kind of conversation. So try to stick with open-ended questions. There should be a transition. In the beginning, ask interesting social bonding questions that are going to hopefully spark this connection that you have with them. Like you were talking about, oh, it looks like you got some sun. Did you go on vacation? Not work-related at all. But then you can transition into business questions like, well, how did you end up at this company? And then you kind of start the professional side of the meeting. But the point of this whole thing is don't ask yes or no questions and be sure to ask questions and listen to the answer because I have two important notes on this thing. Important note number one, like I said, don't just ask, listen. We remember anywhere from 25 to 50 percent of everything we hear, which means at the least 50% goes unremembered. Almost Tell me about it, but go ahead. Almost 75% of what a prospect is offering up on a silver conversational platter, you're not going to remember. So this is another quote that I will source in our blog, but I love it. Listening carefully with undivided attention orients our neural circuits for connectivity, putting us on the same wavelength. So you're almost syncing up with the person you're talking to. That maximizes the likelihood that the other essential ingredients for rapport might bloom. Okay, number two, this is so important, don't interrupt. First of all, it's rude. And second of all, it cancels out any vibe that you're trying to put out that, you know, like customer first, prospect first, whatever, because you can't even hold your mouth shut long enough to let them finish a sentence. It puts the spotlight on you. But the second part is you might not know that you're an interrupter. If you're a bad listener, you probably don't know it because those actions are governed by your automatic system. So if you interrupt, you probably don't even know that you're an interrupter. And first of all, interrupting is one of my biggest pet peeves. I think it is so disrespectful. But people who do it don't even know that they're doing it. So you really need to sit down and do some like introspection. Figure out if you're an interrupter. If you're brave enough or <laughs> if you are open to the answer, ask some of your close friends. Well, or your spouse can help you. And exactly. honestly, that's something that you have helped me with along the way. You were I don't a big interrupter. I, I don't think I was too bad. In sales situations, because oh, I paid attention to it, but in right. a social situation, I think you're right. And the fact is, I'm always trying to tweak my style, so I'm always paying attention to those things. And you were very good at pointing some of that out, and I think I've gotten better at it, yeah? Oh, totally. I think the next thing is find common ground. 
when you're asking... This is something you're really good at, too, not to interrupt. <laughs> not to interrupt, but you did. I don't even know I'm doing didn't it right now, so it. it's fine. You're really good at finding common ground. You just ask seemingly low-key questions, and you figure out what you have in common. And so you're really good at this. Well, and, and the thing is, is it's very calculated. Yes. Don't miss an opportunity to point out the commonality. Sure. I mean, when we meet someone new, our brains are automatically putting that them cat it's us and them it's very reflexive right this isn't something that they theorize or something no when we meet somebody they're automatically part of the them category right basically what you want to do is get them to realize you're more alike than you are different and what that's going to do is put you into the us category and that's when people do business with you when you are in the us category you become on the same team yeah well later on reference these points of commonality in future conversations to reinforce your alikeness or I'll tell you what, and this is a technique that I use all the time because I always inject a lot of humor into my sales presentations. Mm -hmm. There's one of the things that if you've ever watched Seinfeld, and you've heard us talk about this before, but if you've ever watched Seinfeld or a good comedian, they'll take the things in the beginning and wrap them up Mm -hmm. in a joke or a punchline in the end. And so if you're paying attention to that commonality in the beginning and you pick something that's interesting, what you want to do is pay attention to as they talk and then you can bring it up towards the end of the conversation and it kind of wraps the whole presentation up in a neat little bow yeah and people absolutely love that oh for sure now i know my first sales job i failed miserably one of the reasons was because i was so bad at building rapport because if i noticed a point of commonality i wouldn't say anything i would be like oh that's interesting they like to crochet too but i wouldn't say anything because i in my mind i was like i don't want this to be about me and then you start realizing the importance importance and now that I'm in real estate and I'm talking to people I think I've done a lot I've grown a lot since my first sales job but if you notice if somebody says I like x y and z and you like x y and z point it out too right well it reinforces the fact that they like it yeah exactly so it's great on so many levels but don't like you said don't miss an opportunity to recognize to show these people that you're like them right because that's what you want to be on the us team not the them team Okay, so building rapport tip number four, mirroring. And you've probably heard us talk about this on half of our episodes because it is so important. But mirroring, basically, we do it on a subconscious level with people that we like. So if you watch people who have good rapport, whether it's couples or colleagues that get along, whatever, you're going to see that maybe both of them will cross their legs or they'll fold their hands at almost the same time. They'll take a drink at the same time. Why is mirroring important in first impressions? Well, studies have shown that we mirror people that we have a connection with. So we can basically reverse engineer this concept and we can create a connection with somebody that we're trying to impress by using mirroring. Like we've talked about before, even at the beginning of this episode, We like people who are like us. That is because it's easy for our brain to interpret the actions and intentions, most importantly, the intentions of people that are similar to us. So we like the predictability of being with people who are like ourselves. And so mirroring somebody's behavior cues the other person's brain to pick up on your similarities so they feel like, oh, okay, so this person is like me. 
So there are lots of ways that you can mirror. Obviously, body language, like I talked about, drinking at similar times, you know, crossing legs. If they've got their, if they've got their fingers interlaced, then you can take a beat and interlace your fingers. But also, you can mirror their vocal pace. You don't want to talk too fast. Studies have shown that the pace at which we talk is the pace at which we comprehend. So if somebody's talking slower and you just whiz by, they're not going to like that. They're not going to pick up on everything you have to say. So mirror their vocal pace, their vocal tone. If they're very soft-spoken, you don't want to come at them with a shouty, loud voice. Um, you can mirror their vocabulary. You can mirror their facial expressions. And like I said, their body language and then also their hand gestures. So there are lots of different levels that you can mirror on. And this is just something that it increases the warm feeling subconsciously. This does not, they don't consciously say, oh, they took a drink at the same time as me. I like them. But their brain is subconsciously saying, I can trust this person. They are like me. They have, they do the same things that I do. Right. And kind of pro tip is be cool. Oh yeah. Don't be don't, creepy. Yeah. Don't make this a mime exercise. Yeah. This needs to be subtle and you don't need to mirror every one of their actions. If it's every third action or whatever it might be, that's what's going to create that familiarity. Sure. Something else that I think is cool about mirroring is that you can take a step back and you can do some things and see if they mirror you. If they're mirroring you, then you're golden. This rapport is created. So you can take a break, flip the script and see if they start mirroring you. And then you kind of know if your mirroring efforts are working or not. So it doesn't have to be you mirroring them. You can also take a step back and see if they mirror you as well. Agreed. So the next thing that I'll talk about is play to your strengths. Know what kind of situations your past experience is going to create for you. Mm -hmm. And what I mean is I used to travel for a living. So I will typically talk to somebody about where they're from because chances are I've been there. Not everywhere, but chances are I've been there and then we'll have some common ground. Maybe a restaurant, a hotel, um, a sports venue, whatever it might be in that town. Or even if I haven't been there you know, if they're from Massachusetts, I'm going to be like, hey, you know what? Boston's one of my favorite towns. Let me tell you about a couple things that happened to me there. Because you know what? They've probably been to Boston if they yeah. live in Massachusetts. Play to your strengths as if you're a sports fan. You see somebody has got sports memorabilia in their office. Start to talk about a player that you're interested in. So for ladies, if you are a fashionista and you know all the kind of subtle brands you know, that not everybody knows. And you see a purse that it's not a Michael Kors. It might be some subtle brand that, you know, still nice, expensive. You can start to talk about those things. Mm -hmm. Point is, is play to your strengths. Know what your expertise is and use that to your advantage. Sure. I like that. The next tip we're going to talk about is affirmative action. And not the kind, you know, we're not getting into a racial discussion here. I don't think, right? No. <laughs> okay. So... What you want is your prospect to leave a meeting feeling better than they walked in. Use affirmative verbal cues and body language. Nod your head in agreement when they're talking. Don't just sit there with your arms crossed, you know, kind of closed off from, from the situation. You want to use language like absolutely. That guy, that probably comes out of my mouth a thousand times a day. It absolutely comes out <laughs> of your mouth a thousand times a day. The thing is, is, if you ask yes or no questions, sometimes it's necessary. Make sure it's a yes question. 
Frame Get them on the yes train. Yes. Frame things positively. Instead of saying, what do you dislike about your current situation? You might say, what would make your current situation better? You want your prospect to associate you with positive feelings. Yes. You can always frame it in a way that is going to get them to say yes or be positive about it. Mm-hmm. So be careful to do that. Okay, next tip. Tip number seven, use their name. And we've talked about this before, but we probably should have talked about it more. Using their name is so important. Dale Carnegie, which again, if you haven't heard of Dale Carnegie and you're listening to this podcast, we are so flattered. Go Google Dale Carnegie. So Dale Carnegie said that a person's name is the sweetest thing they can hear and we could not agree more. And the reason is, We just identify so deeply with our name. Hearing somebody else say our name truly reaffirms our identity. You're really good at this, Matt, using names. For me, I struggle with it because sometimes I feel like it's awkward to inject somebody's name into a conversation because it's like they're there. Why am I going to use their name? But it works. It's the easiest thing that you can do to create familiarity because who calls them by their names? their friends and their family. Right. This happened to me early on, and you've heard us talk about it in earlier podcasts, but I was watching a news interview. This interviewer, anchor person, whoever it was doing the interview, started using the interviewee's name, and it was their first name, and it was their first name in a situation that didn't typically call for that. It was Mm -hmm. a very professional interview, but she started using their first name. All of a sudden, you could see the tone of the entire conversation change to a much more personal level. The interviewee kind of let the guard down. Let the guard down, and you know, she got ended up getting a really good interview out of it. And that was something that just stuck with me. As far as wow, if you apply that to a sales situation, I think you're going to get the same result. And that's why I've done it ever since. Well, think about even at a restaurant. If you're at a restaurant with a friend, and you know that you don't know anybody else there, but you hear your name your attention snaps into that conversation that you heard your name in, knowing that it's not about you, knowing that they're just talking about somebody else with the same name. But that's how focusing hearing our name is. So if your prospect is maybe zoning out or just not there emotionally or mentally present with you, it'll snap them back into focus. Right. And I know you've noticed this, but even if we're at a restaurant, I always ask the waiter or waitress their name. You do. Instead of going, hey, you. I mean, you did it literally... I guess not last night, but the night before, Alex. Mm -hmm. She was great. Yeah, it's because we called her by our first name. Exactly. (laughs) So next, we're going to talk about demonstrating empathy. Hopefully, by asking questions, you've demonstrated that you're not here to talk about yourself, but you're there to listen. Yeah. Take it a step further by showing empathy. Express the fact that you understand their pain points, their point of view, how the current situation is affecting their lives. Then what you want to do is show them that you want them to be successful. I mean, basically what you want to do is become their biggest cheerleader. A few weeks ago, we did an episode, 10 Most Common Interview Questions, and one of them is, where do you see yourself in five years? And your answer was the absolute best, and it said, where do you see yourself in five years? I want to help you get there. Right. That's what you have to do, is you have to show that you are invested in your prospect's success, because you know that their success equals your success. 
Agreed. So in my opinion, one way to do this is to respect their preferred method of communication. So there's a theory out there called the process communication model that basically says somebody is more likely to engage with you if it's on their preferred method of communication. So, so you're talking about, are we talking about conversation versus In person, email, text, text message, okay. you know, something like that. So what you're saying is if they tend to text you, then you need to respond in text. If they give you a phone yes. call... You don't need to send them a text back. Exactly. So because according to the process communication model, you're more likely to get engagement from them if you pay attention to how they prefer to connect with you. So if they text you once, it doesn't mean that they want to be texted every time. But if you have a few touches with them and they tend to send you an email back after they listen to your voicemail, stick with email. You're empathizing with what they would prefer to do, how they prefer to communicate, and you're not forcing your preferred method of communication on them. So basically what you're doing at that point is letting them drive the train from a style perspective. Yeah. I like it. Cool. Okay. Tip number nine, be funny. We've actually covered this a few times in a cold call tip. One of ours was to use humor. I've done a blog on it at my Impressions Obsession blog, but this can, if you do it correctly, get you so far. So in terms of first impressions, adding humor to your meeting makes you more memorable. And like I said, it ushers you from the them group to the us group. This is because humor operates on an emotional level. We remember things and experiences that strike an emotional chord with us. So humor can really solidify a first impression like not a lot of other things can. It can really solidify this rapport that you're having when you laugh with someone you have this common experience with them even if it's just for the length of the laugh so it's this shared experience and it helps the other person see you like we've talked about as part of their group so obviously it can also enhance your immune system and decrease anxiety there are so many health benefits of humor and so these benefits are only temporary but the endorphin release that happens when somebody laughs it leaves you wanting more so they're going to have these positive associations with you and it's going to be almost this they want to have those feelings again so they're going to want to talk to you again and if they're thinking about coming back in they they're going to associate it with a positive experience as opposed to something they just have to get through yep so one super effective humor strategy that I would suggest uh, for salespeople. So one group of researchers has termed it, I get it humor. And so this is really great for building bonds within a group, which this is what your goal is to get into their us group. It draws on information specific to that group, or in this case, like the industry, so that somebody on the outside would have a hard time understanding it. Uh, So when I was trying to think of an example, you and I both have a history in food service. uh, So that's the first thing that came to mind. So if somebody says, I don't hire servers whose age is less than my food cost, not everybody knows what that means. Right. But people in the industry know that it means you probably don't have a lot of youngins in there. It's probably people in their mid-20s and above. Right. And that's, oh, I get it. That's, I'm part of your group, so I know what you're seeing. That is probably the most effective type of humor 
in terms of disarming someone. If you have your thumb on the pulse of the industry and you can go in there and crack a few I get it jokes, you're going to instantly be part of the us group. In our current situation with new home construction and sales as far as that, you know, one of the things that we always tend to go to is marital strife. I've always tell people the older the, the older the gentlemen get, the further away they get from their clothes in the master bedroom. Yep. Yeah, exactly. You know, and that always cracks everybody up because they, you know, we're in America and, and women tend to have more clothes than men. And, you know, the older they get, the guys tend to end up in the, uh, the guest bedroom closet. Mm-hmm. The so, closet. And even if it's not true, everybody understands the premise and, and gets a good chuckle out of it and we move on. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of moving on, let's move on to tip number 10, which is be expressive. Be expressive. Be, be expressive. <laughs> Talk about being somebody's biggest cheerleader. Uh, so oh, we, yeah, you're going to edit that out. No, I'm not. Please edit that out. No. Okay. We have a cognitive bias. and so what all, not to do on the humor front. Go ahead. Are you done? I'm done. Talk about interrupting. We're bringing all of these tips to play in no this doubt. one tip. So we have a cognitive bias. A cognitive bias is just this mental shortcut. When we meet somebody, our brain takes these mental shortcuts into how to categorize them so we know whether they're friend or foe. And so we have this mental shortcut called expressivity halo. Basically, it just says that our brains favor expressive people. And like I was saying, this makes sense because how do we know if we can trust somebody if they're stone-faced? Our brains hate uncertainty. The more we can glean from somebody's expressions, the less uncertain we will feel, even if it's negative. Even if we can tell from somebody's expressions that they don't like us, we prefer that over, I, I have no idea how they feel about me. So be very expressive. When you smile, you should really smile. And it's called the Duchesne smile. It's where you get those um, eye crinkles. That's how you know it's a true smile is if you got the crow's feet. If you laugh, make it a real laugh. Also ways that you can be expressive with your voice in terms of pitch modulation. You can go higher and lower and don't just stay at one monotone voice because that's very boring. Well, one of the things that I do on that note is I always feel like I've drawn a line down the center of being professional and being casual. Sure. One of the things that you'll hear me do is if we go into a rapport building part of the conversation, my language gets a little bit more casual. My enunciation tends to relax a little bit. Your accent comes out a little more? Accent might come out just a little bit more. But then if we move into a more professional part where I am demonstrating a feature, Mm -hmm. you know, or a benefit. Talk about contracts or something. Talking about Mm -hmm. agreements. I become very much more enunciated and very precise in what I'm doing. So what that does is start to impart expertise into that part of the conversation. So if you can look at it by, you know, you've drawn a line down the middle, you always want that line in sight. If you need to be on the casual side of it, be on the casual side. If you need to weave over to the professional side, then that's what you need to do. But always keep that line in sight as you move forward. So you want to be expressive, but you don't ever want to stray too far from that line. Okay, last one. Last one. Practice. Practice. Practice makes perfect. Practice makes perfect. I mean, if you struggle to develop rapport, strike up a conversation with the person sitting next to you on the airplane. Or if you're in line at the coffee shop, ask for recommendations on flavors or something like that. If you struggle with it, create situations that are going to help you develop those skills but aren't 
High stakes. But aren't high stakes. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. But also, one of the things that I do as well as being in the real estate industry, which we are right now, is that I'll get people I know that are not qualified to buy our homes by any stretch of the imagination. But you know what I do? I go all the way through the process with them because I look at it as a practice at bat. Sure. And you never know what might come out of that. So it keeps my skills sharp. It keeps me on my game. And I'm always learning new things as I talk to new people. One thing I love about this tip is, like you were talking about, striking up a conversation with somebody on the street or in line next to you, there could not be lower stakes. You're not trying to sell them anything. Your financial future doesn't depend on this. There's no professional stakes at all. And it'll help you get better at reading people. It'll help you get better at that skill of keeping the conversation interesting and positive and how to take it in certain directions and stuff like that. And it'll just increase your rapport building capabilities. Right. And I think ultimately what we're talking about here is you're always going to hear the term, oh, he's a born salesperson. She's a born saleswoman. It's not the case. There are no born salespeople. Now, there are people who have more innate talent Mm -hmm. than other people. But you have to practice and learn those skills to be great. It's just like anything else. Whether you're a baseball player or a football player, you may have more physical talent than the next guy. But Peyton Manning was a student of the game. He studied more than anybody. And so what he did was he took his innate talent, combined it with a work ethic that nobody else had, and became one of the best ones in the game. Tom Brady's the same way as much as me. Uh, it pains me to say it. <laughs> practice. Practice, 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 and go Eagles. Oh, damn. Right? Okay. Oh, I don't really have a dog in the hunt. Our Titans were dismissed in the first round of the playoffs, so. (laughs) Yeah, I was was crushed when it happened, whenever it happened. First of all, you weren't. The way that I'm a little disappointed you weren't because we went to a Titans game this year. We did. And they won. Good game, too. It was a great game. And they played the Colts. They played the Colts, and I figured you'd be a little bit more of a fan, but that's a different discussion for a different day. That's a that's an off mic discussion. Right. Let's wrap this up. I've got some shopping to do. Oh my. Words a man loves to hear. His wife has shopping to do. All right, so once again, that does wrap it up since we were told to wrap it up by Miss Megan. Uh, that does wrap it up for this episode of the Naked Sales Guy. So if you've got any comments, questions, jokes, you can email us at nakedsalesguy at gmail.com. I've got a joke. What's the joke? What's orange and sounds like a parrot? I don't know. A carrot? <laughs> so next episode, it'll be just me, the Naked Sales Guy himself. Um, because Megan will no longer be living here. Oh, we're also on Twitter and Facebook and Pinterest. Check us out. If you're listening to this on iTunes, drop a rating. Don't forget to share. I think this is something that any salesperson building rapport, any salesperson, it doesn't hurt to have a little bit of a review. But then also, if you know any newbie salespeople, tag them, share this, uh, help them build that rapport and make those sales. Giddy up. Okay. So go sell somebody something. And have a good Super Bowl Sunday. If you can't do that, get naked. Oh, okay. Bye.